I was watching the, the, the news yesterday and, and listening to um, the, the, the latest updates. Of course, the, the new big thing is the fact that we are going to have a new Prime Minister soon. I can, I, can, I can sense the joy of that. Um, and of course you have all these candidates now that are wheeled in front of cameras and they make their big claims about what they're going to do and how they will be the difference maker. And they're going to change everything and fix everything that was previously broken. Um, big claims that people make. It's, it's interesting how comfortable actually people are at making big claims. We, we, we're all guilty of it at times about making big claims about stuff and actually the, 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 the real challenge of it is does our words and actions meet? For instance, I could say I'm going to run the next London Marathon. <laughs> and the laughter tells you that my words and actions would most definitely not meet. After maybe about 10 metres or so, I would be on the ground. And I'm not exaggerating, rounders is my limit. Um, so my words and actions would not meet. Um, simply put, <laughs> I do not have the ability to do that. So this morning, we, we, we've heard lots of actually quite significant claims. Claims from the Bible about who Jesus is. Claims that I'm going to make about who Jesus is. Claims that Norman is making about who Jesus is. And the remarkable thing is that after 2,000 years of history, it was 2,000 years ago that Jesus was actually around. We're here this morning and Norman declares the words of Jesus to be true. I declare the words of Jesus to be true. And there are many people around you that would do the exact same as well. But Jesus' claims were actually very bold. Uh, his actions were bold, but his claims were bold as well. He, th this Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the promised Savior who was coming to save humanity from its sins. Now our sins are all the things that we do that um, either grieve God or grieve other people. So, for instance, gossip, or slander, or lies, or, or, or blasphemy. These things are called sins because they create distance between either ourselves and God, or between us and those around us as well. And the, the, the truth is that, I don't know about yourselves, but me on a daily basis, I tend to rack up a, a fair few of those sins. The issue is that um, we seem to think, we, we, we have this idea in our head, if I do more good than I do bad, it's all grand and it's all well. They're not in the same bank account. They're in two entirely separate accounts, our good deeds and our bad deeds. And, one, and before God, who is perfect, one needs to be right up and the other needs to be uh, zilch. And I don't know about you, but my accounts, if it was really good, would be 50-50. Um, so when Jesus talks about being the saviour of the world, what he's saying is actually the, 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 the true issue that humanity faces, which is sin. I'm coming to save them from it. I'm going to be the one that saves them from it. So when he calls himself the Messiah and the Saviour, that's the claim that he's making. He's saying that he is the one that was promised for thousands and thousands of years. But he didn't stop there. No, he didn't just stop at claiming he was the Saviour. He claimed he was the Son of God as well. Now going into Judaism and making that claim, 
It was never going to end well for them. Because they would have saw that as blasphemy. This person's claiming he is God. And ultimately that was one of the key things that would see him crucified. The crucifixion wasn't some sudden event that overtook Jesus. It was an intended event in which he would go to that cross and take the the sins of people upon himself so that we could be free of them. But the rubber hits the road and was he a madman? Was this all just a, a bold claim that went drastically wrong? Well, it all centres around the resurrection then, doesn't it? If the resurrection is true, and so are his claims. And if his claims are true, then what Norm has experienced, and I have experienced, and many others have experienced in this room, is what God wants everyone to hear and experience as well. Was the resurrection true? Well, each of us will have a different view on that. But let me tell you this. Virtually every atheist that's went to investigate the resurrection to disprove it because they know that this is the crux point. If you can disprove the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. In fact, the Bible says that. It's very clear. If the resurrection isn't true, we're the most pitied above all because we've found ourselves to be liars and we're still in our sin. The Bible's quite plain about it. The resurrection, that's what counts. Every atheist that's went to look into the resurrection, virtually everyone anyway, to to discount it and to see Christianity crumble, has eventually found themselves doing exactly what Norman is this morning, being baptised. Because the evidence of the resurrection is vast. And virtually every scientific or um, rational theory that we can apply to it be it legal, be it medical, be it historical, always comes to the same conclusion. It happened. Claims and actions that match. So I read these verses, For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith, for as many as you were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what I read earlier. What does that mean? Well, I want to very quickly unpack that a little bit for us, and just to explain what Paul, who wrote this letter all those years ago, is trying to communicate to people, to the people who heard it. Um, as you can see, I'm sticking with the theme, we've got bubbles and they're not raining drops weather, they are representative of the sea. So hopefully we soon have sunshine. And also you will see uh, hopefully a nifty little ripple effect. Wait a minute, if I switch this thing on. Yeah, it's on. There we go. Yeah. It's, it's all Hollywood today. You didn't see effects like that every day, do you? So the first thing I want us to look at, well, what does he mean by in Christ through faith? Well, I mean, as you hear that language, I don't know what you're thinking, but I, I want to just go through a few different things about what Paul is getting at. The first of these things is that we live with Jesus. We live with Jesus. What do I mean by that? Because you might be thinking in Christ, we're in houses, we're in cars, we're in homes. What does it mean when you're applying this to somebody who's actually a human? But it's actually, when you look at that verse, the key thing, for in Christ Jesus, dot, 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 
This is the key part of the statement, for in Christ Jesus. This is the core thing of what Paul is getting at. So how can we understand what he's actually trying to say there? Because it's not an item. Jesus isn't an item. He isn't even merely a belief. And him means that we have a connection to him. It means we belong to him. It means we are with him. It ultimately means that we live with him. Because Christianity isn't merely a religion. Although it has religious elements to it. It's not what it's about. Christianity is at its core a relationship between the person and Jesus. That's why the resurrection really matters, because we believe that Jesus is a risen saviour. And how do we communicate with Jesus? Well, one of the core ways we do it is actually through picking up one of these books. Best-selling book every single year, by the way, is the Bible. But it's not counted on any charts. And do you know why? It gets boring when the same thing's number one all the time. This book sells the best every single year best-selling book is the Bible. And in the Bible we see the the, the recounting of who Jesus is and what he represents. And if you actually want to understand what Christianity stands for, I would encourage you, go and have a look. Pick up one of these books. You've probably got one at home. The first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, tell us about the life of Jesus Christ. And after the Gospels, we then see various other writings about the life of Jesus and the relevance of it for us. But Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship with that Jesus Christ. And we communicate with him through prayer, we communicate with him as we read the Bible. But ultimately, it's a a relationship and that's how we are in him. We are in one that we also believe in. Christianity. Christianity isn't actually a self-improvement program. Sadly, it frequently acts like that. But it's not a self-improvement program, Christianity. It's actually the opposite at times. It's just recognizing that we can't do it ourselves. You know, I am terrible at DIY. Right? I I can't put a shelf up on a wall. Okay? Now if I try, I might sit there for a day or two. But then gravity will take its course. That shelf is coming down. So for me, even with household DIY, I need to recognize I can't do that myself. But the same is true spiritually. Christianity represents not that we do it ourselves. It recognizes and encourages us and calls us to believe in the one who's done it for us. It's about receiving a gift. A gift from God, which is that, that what Jesus has done on our behalf. Being free from that which I described as sin earlier. Jesus alone offers humanity, offers me, offers you that forgiveness and freedom. And he doesn't ask for perfection. He doesn't ask for us to be perfect. Because none of us ever will be. And I think sometimes as Christians we forget that in our life we are not going to be perfect. It's something that we can look forward to um, beyond life and when Jesus returns. He doesn't ask for perfection. He doesn't base, on how, base any of this on how great we are. He asks for faith, for trust, for us to believe. And that's what we seek to do as Christians. Essentially, this is what we are. We are a people that trust in what Jesus has done. And I think sometimes that message of Christianity gets a bit lost. Our life is one of trust in Jesus' work. It's one where we know we are not perfect. And because of that, we are thankful for what he has done. 
It's actually a, a life where we can rest and stop striving. Because it's not about us. It's about what Jesus has done for us. It's a life where we can be secure because we know that God won't let us go. Why? Because it's not about us being perfect. It's about what Jesus has done for us. Where we can find peace and where we can find hope. And where we can discover that God of love and mercy. And the amazing thing is that we become children of God through it. We belong to him. We are redefined in that sense. We become children of God. The God of all things becomes our Father. And he is a a gracious and patient Father. We have that depth of relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So what we're looking at today is that we are then baptised into Christ. Yeah, the special effects continue. I was going to change it up with each slide, and I thought, people will not cope with that. That's just too much. That's, that's, That's too radical. So we're baptised into Christ. What's he meaning by that? Well, he talks about the fact that those who are baptised into Christ have put on Christ. You know, when we think of put on, we think of clothes. We put on clothes. So for instance, today I would love, when I'm leaving here, to put on the, the warmest, most waterproof clothes that I have. But in reality, what I'm putting on is a pair of combat trousers and a t-shirt. And why? Because I'm heading into the sea. You. <laughs> <laughs> So put on, we think of things like clothes, but I I want us to think, and I I point again to the the children's talk, of also things kind of like this wedding ring, and I I covered this earlier, so I'll not labour this point. A wedding ring symbolises something. It symbolises our commitment to another person. It symbolises the relationship that we have with that person. It symbolises an event that happened. Because as far as I'm aware, wedding rings haven't just become a fashion. They might, you never know these days. But they aren't yet... (laughs) It symbolises that. The baptism is the same, as I said earlier. Baptism symbolises what God has done in our hearts. It symbolises the forgiveness and the cleansing of sin that God offers everyone. It symbolises that relationship we have with him, but it also symbolises our commitment to him. It symbolises that we are going to follow him and make, as the statement says, Jesus as our Lord. So what does it, that's what it means when it's talking about putting on Christ. It's talking about the fact that he becomes part of us. He's the one that we live for and that we live with. Jesus is Lord is often the phrase that's used to describe this. A phrase that began 2,000 years ago. It's actually, even though you've probably heard that phrase and dismissed that phrase perhaps many, many times, it's one of the most controversial things that can come out of any person's lips. Right when Jesus was around, Israel was part of the Roman Empire. And there was only one Lord in the Roman Empire, and that was Caesar. So when somebody was baptised and they declared that Jesus Christ is Lord, you could imagine that Caesar wasn't a very big fan of that practice. In fact, he would soon be burning Christians at the stake, Hunting them, persecuting them, and doing all sorts of unmentionable things to them. To say Jesus is Lord was a radical statement because you were essentially saying a truth that could endanger your life because you were saying to to the state, to the most powerful thing around you and to the culture around you, I have a different way of life now, a different one that I see as my authority and leader and his name is Jesus Christ. The state didn't like it. 
and neither did the culture around then. And to be honest, neither does the culture around us today as well. I want to do a wee test here. Let's see if anyone... Spoiler there, but just ignore that. Now, I don't think anyone can read this chap's name, so that's fine. Uh, Does anyone know who this is? I'd be really impressed if anyone does. I'll give you a clue. He was around at the time of the Reformation? No. This is George Blaurock. And as I say that name, I could, I could imagine that for most people... And that's no surprise, because history doesn't actually cover um, incredibly deeply chaps such as he. George Blaurock, Conrad Grebel, Michael Sattler, and people of his like, at the time what was called the Magisterial Reformation. So magisterial means it was in line with the state. So that was your Reformation with Luther, who was protected by a German king. That was your Reformation with Calvin, who was protected by the Swiss leaders. That was your reputation with Swingley. Well, Swingley, just, he just liked to fight, and um, that's, that was his MO. Um, but he had what was also called the Radical Reformation with chaps such as your George Blaurock and Conrad Grebel. Now, um, George Blaurock is, at that time, as the Reformation began, the first person in a long time that would have had what was called believer's baptism. He turned to the person beside him, Conrad Grebel, and asked him to baptise him. And so began what was called the Anabaptist movement, which was called rebaptizers. Now, they weren't very popular people. They were like the equivalent of a, a clay pigeon and a, and a shooting ground. Um, they were not popular with the state. They were not popular with the religions around. And they were generally hunted and burned at the stake and killed. And the, the, one of the other ironic ways that they liked to kill the Anabaptists was by drowning them. Because the statement was, if you loved water so much, you can meet your end in it. So he was the first man in a fair while to experience a believer's baptism. And then it spread, and many did. And a movement began. And that movement would soon branch out into various different movements. Some would take some unique turns. So the Amish movement is linked to the Anabaptists. The Brethren movement is linked to the Anabaptists. The Mennonite movement is linked to the Anabaptists. And also the Baptist movement is linked to the Anabaptists. Because our theology was formed by two chaps, Smith and Helwes, in Amsterdam in an Anabaptist community. So this chap, all those years ago, declared those words that Jesus is Lord, fallen on the foundation of the disciples and the early believers of Jesus Christ. And it's on those foundations that we follow on today as well. It means embracing that gift that God offers us. It means recognizing that God is calling us to live to a different beat to the world around us different to the culture around us because God's ways are not the same always always as the world's ways. Sometimes, in fact, it could be polar opposites and that's when things can get a little bit tricky. It means joining with Jesus' mission and recognising that one of the things he calls us to do and calls us to be is his arms and feet and the world around us. Essentially, it means, wrong way, 
Yeah, it's given up. Okay. It means becoming a disciple. That's what Norman is demonstrating, that he is, he is a follower of Jesus Christ. He is going to seek to live according to the ways of Jesus Christ and um, begin that. It's not a journey, it's an adventure actually with God. Because you never ever know what he's going to ask you to do. You never do. One of my biggest fears before I became a Christian was public speaking. Absolutely terrified of it. I would have done anything to avoid it. And then God called me into the ministry. He's got an ironic sense of humour at times. <laughs> you never know what he will ask you to do. But one thing I do know, and I can state, and Norman I'm sure can state it as well, is when we do what he asks us to do, he gives us the strength and the ability to in fact carry it out. But baptism isn't merely an individual thing. You're called, as you can see with the spoilers here, to become part of a community. We're all one. And that's what he's getting at in that very last part that we're going to cover, which is there's neither Jew nor Greek, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. All those class systems in the world are meant to fade away. Every single one of them. So today, you didn't really have the upper class and the lower class, not so much. That class system shouldn't exist in church. Remain or leave shouldn't exist in church. Rich or poor doesn't matter. What God is making through his church and what he's aiming to make through his church is the people who are one because of Jesus Christ. Not because they have everything in common, but because God is drawing people back together. Because sin, as it says, didn't just create that distance between us and God, it created that distance between us and each other. So God actually calls us back into community. And it's not just with those that we find it easy to get along with. Because you will find in this room that some of those traditional barriers have faded away. So in this room, for instance, we have Dundee and Dundee United fans. <laughs> That's a bit difficult for one of those groups at the moment. We have Celtic fans and Rangers fans. Ooh, controversial. In fact, a Rangers fan's baptising a Celtic fan in a little while. Ooh. Well, we'll see what you think of the treble treble then, eh? All of those things fade away. And they fade away because we actually discover when we encounter Jesus that he is worth so much more than all of that stuff that keeps us apart. And he has done so much so that we need no longer remain apart. He is worth it. So I want to leave you with a few questions. I give up. <laughs> that thing and me, we just didn't get on. We need to reconcile. This Jesus that I've spoke about, that we've sung about. What do you make of him this morning? Perhaps you might be sitting there thinking he's a myth. Well, actually, there's more evidence that Jesus Christ existed than Plato and Caesar combined. And you could lump a load of other historical characters into there. Anyone who's honest, atheist, scientist, it doesn't matter who they are, Anyone who's honest will recognise that Jesus Christ existed. That is undisputable. Don't write him off as a myth because it's a cheap answer. It's not true. 
history doesn't give us that excuse. Or perhaps we think he's a historical figure, I'll accept that, but he's been distorted by history. We can't have that one either. There are thousands, literally thousands of manuscripts of Jesus' teaching and his life. There are people who have written statements of, about Jesus, Roman historians, Jewish historians and countless others that all point to the fact that he, di- that he taught, that he died and that he rose again. It's interesting actually. There are historical figures of whose life we know about from documents that were written thousands of years after their life and they're accepted today as accurate. And do you know why they're accepted today as accurate? Because word of mouth functioned way better back then. That's how they taught. You know, they, they, they couldn't retweet things back then. There was no viral Facebook posts. There wasn't even a, there wasn't even a Royal Mail. They didn't have free access to books, e-books, or anything of that nature. They used their mouths and they passed on information. So the people who judge this stuff believe that stuff that was recorded thousands of years after people's lives is accurate to what that person said and taught and how they lived. Some of the manuscripts about the life and teachings of Jesus Christ were written about five years after his death. Most completed within 30 years. The odd one a bit longer than that. By our own criteria, we can't dismiss him as a historical figure distorted by myth. Because to do so, we would have to dismiss all our history. That's not how it works. We could maybe say then he was a madman. Anyone strolling about proclaiming to be the son of God? Well, these days, we know where we would put people like that. Guy was clearly bonkers. Off his head. And you know what? That claim would be, could be considered true. If he had just remained dead. If he had just remained dead. All this guy was was another crazy criminal. Wandering about making reckless claims. And who ended up getting himself into too much trouble and killed. But was he a madman? Well. The resurrection. That's the issue again, isn't it? But the evidence, the evidence for the resurrection is staggering. We know Jesus died. Romans don't make mistakes. If they say you're dead, you're dead. So how on earth do people see this guy walking around a couple of days later? And not just one or two, but thousands. And here's the thing that really strikes me about the resurrection, actually. The disciples, I can relate to the disciples actually. When Jesus gets arrested, I'm going to use a Scottish word here, they bolt. Do you know what bolt means? Or is that just a fife word? They leg it, they run away, they flee to the house, they save their own hides by deserting the one that they claimed that they were going to follow even unto death. They decided the cost was too high. They denied him. They even swore to avoid any sort of um, association with Jesus. And then they hid, afraid, scared, convinced that they probably backed the wrong horse and made the mother of all mistakes. And now we're looking for a way to save their own hides. A couple of days later, though, 
all of a sudden they're in the streets saying Jesus is Lord you beat them it doesn't stop them you threaten to kill them they keep on speaking and they die they give their lives for what they're saying now what changes somebody from somebody who would leg it and do and bolt to somebody who's willing to die you don't die for a lie don't die for a lie might die for a sure bet for something that you know beyond any doubt is true the resurrection is one of these things that we can't dismiss just too much happened so who is Jesus his claims are significant but the rubber hits the road whether we believe his actions met his claims I believe they did more importantly I believe they still do I believe that Jesus, who existed all those years ago, rose again from the grave and continues today as he promised he would. He said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's here this morning. And to each of us, whether you've made a commitment to Christ or not, the call is the same. Follow me. Put your trust in me. Put your faith in me. Put your life in my hands and I will set you free. I will take you on the adventure of your life and I will take you back to the God who made you, who loves you and who you actually yearn for though you don't even know it. Who is Jesus? Well, if you want to know more about who he is or if you want to do something about that, speak to me. I'll stick him on the spot. Speak to Norman even. He's done Christianity Explored. He knows what it's all about. Because there's nothing complex here. There's no cultic entry rights. You don't have to come up to the front and do this, that, the dance to chuffed. Although that could be funny. <laughs> no requirement of money. No mantras. What there is, is simply a God looking for you. Saying he loves you. Asking a simple question. Will you accept my gift? Will you accept me? Let's pray. Father God, you know each of our hearts that are here this morning. You know, even for those of us who profess to be following you, whether we are actually doing that day by day. Lord, as we consider what Paul says, as we consider what it means to be in Christ, as we consider what baptism represents, we pray, Father, that you would speak into each heart here and that the relevance of Jesus would become something more profound and more significant. Lord, draw near to us. We thank you so much for your love. A love which is unconditional and a love that calls every person out of sin into the newness of life. Lord, we pray again, end the rain and bring the sunshine as Norman is baptised. And we pray for ourselves, end the rain of sin. Bring the sun into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service this morning. Just to a couple of points of to know. Um, I don't know. Um, we'll get the cake cut um, straight after the service. And what we'll do is um, get tea, coffee. I hope people have brought their food. Or if it's in your car, you can nip out and get it. Um, and we'll, we'll quickly eat our food and once it looks like everyone is done, we're going to head off and, and, and to the sunshine.
um, at Colliston and uh, celebrate with Norman as he is baptised there. So we'll stand together now. We're going to sing a song which very much summarises what Paul is getting at as we sing together.